If you have your copy of God's Word by print, digitally, on an app, whatever you like to use, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16, and in just a few moments, I'm going to read uh, from verse 1 through 8, and then a few verses at the end of the chapter. We're in the second week of a new series that we started last, last Sunday called Going Places. And we're tracking the movements of God's people, the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, as they leave Egypt, leave slavery, leave the bondage of what was 450 years. And as they move through the wilderness to their ultimate goal of arriving at Mount Sinai, the Mount of God, where God will deliver to them the Ten Commandments and set into place a whole new vision for their future. And as we've watched already, this group of people, some estimates 750,000, high estimates 4 million, they have some bumps and bruises along the road. They're going places, but even as they go, not everything is great. Uh, last week, we saw their first stop just three days after crossing over the parted dry sea, parting God's parting of the amazing sea. Just three days out, they land in a place of desperation because of thirst. They're thirsty. And when they get to the landscape, they get to the well, the well of Mara, they find that it's bitter. And I even showed you a few pictures of what that landscape would look like. You can see it here. It's a very, very brown, dreary place. But as they arrived at that well, they learned immediately that God was going to take care of them yet again. They saw a bitter well. But what did God do? He turned it into sweet water so they could drink. Well, if you follow our map, and I'll show you where we're going next, we're further our journey in. We were already at the well of Mara, right there at the tip. Now we're moving a little further down. We're now 45 days into their journey. A month and a half has gone by since they left Egypt. And the situation is they're still in the brown desert. They're still in the wilderness with no vegetation, no trees. It's just hot and miserable. And the issue now is not thirst. The issue now is hunger. And you would have thought, you would have thought, after seeing so much evidence of God's faithfulness, so much evidence of God's miraculous power, you would have thought after seeing the sea part, after seeing the bitter well turn sweet, after seeing the cloud of fire and pillar, you would think after seeing all that God had done that they would have no fear now that they're hungry. You would think that they would be so confident in God's work and protection in their life that they wouldn't stumble at all in disbelief over what God could do. They had evidence, like we sung in that song just a moment ago. They had evidence of God's promises being fulfilled. They had evidence of his work in their life. They had evidence and evidence and evidence. And you would think that would establish them with confidence that God is going to take care of them. He took care of their thirst. He took care of their captors. He's brought them out free into his 
promises. You would have thought they would be the most confident people in God around. But 45 days in, as their bellies start to growl, and they start to feel the pains of hunger, yet again they have doubts. Yet again, they have lost their faith in a God who is always faithful. We can point a judgment at these people and think, come on, guys, men and women, you can do better. But the reality is we do the exact same thing. We have evidence of evidence of evidence of evidence of God's faithfulness in our life, God's goodness in our life, God's work in our life. But when we just become ever so uncomfortable, ever so disoriented and displaced, we can question whether God is faithful again and again. Well, this group is going to see something miraculous. That God is going to be faithful and he's going to do something that totally amazes them. He is going to send manna from heaven and confuse them all. Let's read from Exodus chapter 16. I'm starting in verse 1. It says, They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, between, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger." Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumbled against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Look down to verse 13, same chapter. And in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. 
And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Uh, May God bless the reading of his word. I just have really a few points this morning and then we're going to experience communion together. Uh, But I want you to also grab this little piece of uh, an index card and a pen around you. For those of you in the seats, there's one right in front of you. And if you were on the back row, I think you found one in the seats where you were seated. I want you to grab that pen and paper because we're going to have a couple moments in this message where we're going to do a little something together to remember and to reflect. The situation presented themselves with what might be considered a catastrophe. 750 to maybe 4 million people hungry. Now, if you have a house of young people and three of them are hungry, is it a catastrophe? People get angry. People get fussy. People start getting agitated. We got nothing in the house. We got no groceries. Where's dinner? Where's... The snacks, I have two teenage sons. And man, when they get hungry, we refer to it as hangry. They're hungry and angry and agitated, and it makes for a miserable home life. Can you multiply that by four million people? Angry, hungry, upset, agitated. They're on the road now for 45, 46 days. They've been out in this wilderness. And wilderness is not a jungle. Wilderness is desert, folks. It's hot. It's dirty. It's sandy. They've had problems with water. They're moving an enormous number of people. And now they're hungry. And the question is, what God, what's God going to do? They're grumbling and complaining against Moses and Aaron. That's who they have to grumble and complain against. But truly, their anger and their agitation is pointed toward God. You brought us out here, and now you're going to leave us to die. God does something miraculous. He informs Moses that he's going to send them something. He's going to send them some bread from heaven. He's going to supply their very needs. And the way he does it is with this substance called manna. Manna. What is manna? Well, you read and I read from Exodus chapter 16, verse 14, the description of what is this substance. Now, walk with me here, brothers and sisters. As Mara meant bitterness, it's a It's a play on words. It's an explanation of what the water is. It's bitter. It's mara. Manna also has a meaning behind it. It's not just the name they came up with this food, but it actually has a meaning behind it. It It has a teachable, meaningful meaning. It says in verse 14 of Exodus 16 how this is going to work, that when the dew has gone up, morning dew all across the landscape, there would remain a fine, fine, flaky substance, as fine as the frost on the ground. And this substance, when they saw it, would cause them to say, what is it? What is that? Why is the dew gone and yet there's this flaky something remaining? If you look down in verse 31, same chapter of Exodus 16 They'll give a little bit more of what it looked like and even what it tasted like. 
It says, now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Now, my brain and ultimately my taste buds go Teddy Grahams. (laughs) Some of you don't eat Teddy Grahams. I can destroy a box of Teddy Grahams. Particularly the chocolate Teddy Grahams. Uh, when I was in youth ministry and children's ministry uh, for some years, our children's area always had boxes of Teddy Grahams. And as a staff member at church, I ate most of them. They, you know, fish crackers and Teddy Grahams. And man, I was putting away some of those Teddy Grahams. That's what my mind goes to. I don't know what your mind goes to, but there's. Speaking of some flakiness, some little substance that tastes like a wafer made with honey. That's the the definition of what it is. But really the naming of it is even more spectacular. Manna. Here, walk with me. We're going to do just a little bit of Hebrew study. Manna. Man or man is the Hebrew word for what? It actually is like a surprise what? A shocked what? What? Say that with me. What? You know, not like, what are you thinking about? No, it's, what What are you thinking about? You get it? It's an expressive, shocked surprise. What? And if you put the ha, man, ha, then it becomes, what is that? Are you kidding me? What is this? It's not, what is this? It's not, you know, not polite and calm. It's, it's a shock. But actually, one Hebrew scholar goes a little further and says, if you actually look at what we have in the New Testament, where Jesus refers to man cannot live by manna alone or bread alone, it's actually even more something like an allotment or a gift. You mix it all together, and what you have is this surprising, shocking allotment, this gift of God that makes you go, what on earth is this? How can this be? How can this be what God has done? And it's a perfect name. It's a perfect description. It's a perfect outline of how God and his perfect provision works in our life. We think we have it all figured out, all put together, all arranged. And God can surprise us with the gift of that makes us say, what on earth is this? Where did this come from? Because God is the same God now that was then. The same God that the Hebrew people are seeking is the same God that we sang to this morning. God's consistent. God is omnipresent. His changing character is never derived differently then as it is now. And the God who provided for them in this what is it moment, the dew of the morning, this faithful, consistent provision from the hand of God is no different now than it was then. Our God is faithfully, consistently, regularly providing for his people. And we sometimes see that in the form of our earnings, our labors, our jobs, our livelihoods. But it also times comes from charity and gifts from people who know nothing of our needs. 
It can be surprise checks in the mail from our insurance company that we had no clue we overpaid. I got one of those this week for $30. You know, when you get a check from your insurance company, it's like you won the lottery for $30. I overpaid the insurance and here comes 30 bucks back. A little something of God's provision. You know, the reality is all of us have evidence of God's faithful provision in our past. We all have evidence of God's faithful provision in the past. We have assurances of the way God's provided in our lives and in our families. We have assurances of the way that when there seemed to be no way, God made a way. We have Work that has been provided that we didn't know was coming. We have a gift coming that we had no idea we even let anyone know we were in need. I spent some time this week in a, in, in a ministry that provides food and clothing and housing for folks in our community. And I got to observe a family walking in and certainly they were coming for help. They had a baby and needed some food and needed some diapers and needed some supplies And this ministry was able just to meet every single one of their needs. That is God's faithful provision for his people. Friends, God has provided in the past. But we can forget about that so quick. The Israelite people have forgotten so quick. Yes, they crossed on dry land. Yes, they left Egypt. Yes, they saw the plagues befall Pharaoh and all the Egyptians. Yes, they saw the bitter water made sweet. But they've already forgotten how faithful God has been in the past 45 days. Oh, what amnesia we have, friends. That we sometimes forget even last week, last month, last year, how God has been so faithful and so consistent to provide. He has a track record. He has a history of providing for his people. But sometimes we get so focused on our immediate agitation and discomfort. Why have they forgotten? Why have they forgotten? It's because they're hungry. Because they're absolutely starving. I remember watching faithfully a TV show called Survivor. Did anybody like Survivor? We can confess that here. It's okay. It was a reality show that went on for goodness, 20-something years. And one of the weird happenings about those contestants on whatever place they were at, some island, some wayward place, is they'd start getting hungry. They had a little rice, maybe a little beans to distribute amongst the the teams. But as they got more and more hungry, you know what they did around the campfire? They talked about food incessantly. What they were hungry for, what they would eat when they got out, what was the very first thing they would order at a restaurant or at some of their favorite meals. And they would just talk about it and dream about it and daydream and fantasize about the food that they were one day going to eat again. Because when you're hungry, you can't get anything else but food off your mind. It's in the very present. And for this group of people, they are remembering food. They're remembering food, but they're also forgetting things. Look back with me in verse 3. As they're complaining to Moses and Aaron... 
They're remembering food, but they're not remembering the full story. It says specifically, remember when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. What are they talking about? Talking about Egypt. Talking about slavery. They're talking about when they were held captive by the slaveholders, but yet they're remembering none of the chains, none of the hard labor, none of the whippings that they received. They're remembering only the meat pots and the bread they had to their fullest needs. And even then, if you step clearly into what they're thinking, yes, they're daydreaming about food, but who was providing the meat pots? Who was providing the bread? It certainly wasn't the Egyptians. It certainly wasn't their slave masters. God was being faithful and consistently providing them even when they were in chains. But all they remember is the food. Such that they even say to Moses and Aaron, you have brought us out here. You're going to lead us into this wilderness to kill us, to absolutely destroy us with hunger. 45 days into the journey, their bellies are empty. And they think God has absolutely abandoned them. Friends, we need to remember that God has provided in the past. And he is faithful and just to continue providing into our future. I want you to take your card and your pen. And on one side of the card, I want you just to write at the top, God's provision in your past. God's provision in my past. And I want you just to jot down a few words, a few phrases that give evidence of God's provision in your life in the past. Jot down a few ways God has been faithful to you in the days in your past. After you've write If you've written two or three things, I want you to turn the card over. And I want you to write God's provision day by day. God's provision day by day. And I want you to write down a few things that God is providing that you are so thankful for every single day of your life. For God has provided in the past and God provides each and every day. And when we write it down, when we list it out, we remember. We recount God's faithfulness. We recount God's goodness to us. We have evidence of God's work in our life. 
And when we think about the past, it also helps us come clear into focus on the daily things that God has provided. Oh, this is the, the lesson, friends, that is so miraculous about the manna. It's a daily provision. It's a daily provision. God has provided in the past, certainly, miraculously, but he's also providing on the daily. Verse four, Moses says to the people, or excuse me, the Lord says to Moses that he conveys then to the people, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a month's portion, a year's portion. No, how much are they supposed to gather? A daily portion, a daily portion that God will test them and he will walk with them and they will walk with God. It's a daily providing, a daily provision. God is certainly provided in the past, but he provides on a daily basis. It's so impressive here. This is actually before Exodus 20, before we had the 10 commandments, before we have honored the Sabbath and keep it holy. And yet God has already established what to do on the sixth day. They're gonna rest on the seventh. And so God says in verse five, and on the sixth day, when they gather and bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. I mean, God's got this completely mapped out for them. There's a daily provision. And on the sixth day, there's a double provision. So when you take your day of rest, you are completely provided for. Friends, I just gotta share a word with you here. Gotta give you an encouragement. Our God provides on the daily if we open our eyes and open our hearts and open our minds to see the daily provision that our God gives, we will be a much more full person of gratitude and thanksgiving. He's not leaving us stranded. He's provided on the daily for us. And even on the days of rest, he double portions for us so that we are completely ready. Oh, how did Jesus pray? How did Jesus invite us to pray in Matthew 6? He says, pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen to Jesus' line. Give us this day our daily bread. Even in the prayer Jesus modeled, there is a recognition of God's daily provision. And you have evidence on a card of God's past provision and God's daily provision. Question is, will then you forget? Will I forget? Will we doubt? When we become agitated, uncomfortable, feel as if possibly God has abandoned us, will you look at the evidence? of his provision in the past and look at the example of his provision every single day. That's how we receive confidence in our God who provides. I wanna invite the praise team to join me. As we transition to the point of communion, I have one final truth I wanna share with you. Because we could certainly look to Jesus. In John chapter 6, the issue of manna comes up to Jesus. The issue of God's faithfulness, God's provision comes up to Jesus. 
And Jesus takes the the example of God's faithfulness to provide the manna in the wilderness as a way to point to something truly great, truly miraculous. In John chapter 6, the question comes from one in verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus answered to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus knew of the exodus. He knew, of course, of the manna, the what is it substance that God provided. He knew the water that had been given from the bitter well. Jesus knew all of the things that they had experienced then. And he captures that in a big picture, wonderful declaration that he is the bread of life who has been sent from heaven, who gives his own life so that we might live. And all who thirst and all who hunger. This is a spiritual hunger. This is a spiritual thirst. All who seek will be satisfied, not with the things of this world, not with the bread and water that we drink from this earth, but what comes from God himself. And that certainly is Jesus Christ, his very son. And when we come to communion, we are taking two elements that are simply a wafer and a drink. But the meaning behind it is that Jesus has given his body broken and his blood shed for the remission of our sins, for the forgiveness of our souls, for making us right before God. He truly is the bread of heaven coming down, giving his life so that all who receive him may live. So this morning as we receive communion, It's not manna. It's not a wafer. It's the reality that God's very son came to this earth and died on a cross so you and I could live forever with him in heaven. Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads for a moment as we come to a point of prayer? The scripture teaches that when we receive communion, we're supposed to examine our hearts Look inward first. If there be anything that we need to confess, anything that we need to repent of, we lay it first before the Lord. And then remember and reflect on his broken body and his shed blood. So let me invite you just to bow your hearts before the Lord and examine carefully every time we take the cup and the bread we proclaim the Lord's death in our lives we proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior in our life we proclaim that 
We were once dead in our sins and trespasses, but through Jesus, we have been made alive in him. As you receive these elements, be assured that they are a way to proclaim what Jesus has done in your life. So Lord, we come to you now and we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your provision in the past. We thank you for your provision on the daily. Each and every one of us, you've provided so much. And we thank you for the gift of Jesus, the bread of heaven, the bread of life, who has broken his body for us, who has shed his blood so that we might live. We give you praise for sending your son, Jesus, to die in our place so that we might live eternally with him. As we receive this communion, I pray that you allow our hearts to be rejuvenated with confidence in you. Not to doubt, but to be assured you walk with us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.